Uh, Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw that this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Okay, so um, again, a very, very familiar story indeed. Um, and in a minute, I shall show you how there's a little bit more to it than perhaps the um, Sunday school hymn might lead you to believe. So a little bit of background. Um, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Um, in some translations, it says he was a publican. But as far as I'm aware, there is no record of him ever earn, owning a pub. So um, we'll just call him a tax collector, which is what he was. He worked for the Romans. So the Romans um, basically subcontracted all their tax-gathering um, duties to the local people. Um, and, of course, because the tax rates were fairly arbitrary in the Roman world, um, basically, if you were a tax collector, you gathered as much as you could, um, because if you couldn't meet the tax bill, it came out of your own pocket. So not surprisingly, Zacchaeus was, was loaded. He was very well off. Yeah, and um, he would have been hated and despised by all and sundry. He wouldn't have been a show his face in the temple because he was a collaborator. And in fact, the only sort of modern day analogy perhaps we could draw would be someone, for instance, who might have collaborated with the Nazis during the war, you know, who did their dirty work for them. So he was not a very popular figure around the town. He would have been very few friends. He would have been ostracized. And um, there's no way that people were going to be moving out of the way to allow him to have a look at this latest uh, you know, preacher from Nazareth, a miracle worker from Nazareth. He was going to be at the back of the queue every time. So hence his need for you know, finding a good vantage point. Now, it's interesting that Luke um, particularly mentions the fact that he was rich or wealthy. And um, here's a top tip for you. If you're going to read the Gospels, read them chronologically. Yeah, from the beginning, start the beginning and work your way through and go to the end. The reason being is Luke has already actually told us a story about a rich man in the previous chapter. So, in fact, the story of Zacchaeus is not just one story, but it's, well, actually, in fact, three stories. So there's the story of the wealthy ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says to him, well, you know, you know the commandments. And the, and the guy says, yes, I've kept all of those since I was a boy. And Jesus said, well, in that case, the only thing that's lacking is that you're very wealthy. You need to sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And he goes away very upset, sad, it says, because he was a wealthy man. 
So that's the first wealthy man story back in the previous chapter. And then the next thing, Jesus predicts his death, but then he goes and heals a blind man. And a blind, blind people, um, well, there's, there's a whole lot of, th- of stuff going on here. First of all, in the case of the first wealthy man, Jesus is challenging the assumption that the Jews had that if you were righteous, if you were a good man, then God would bless you with riches. Okay, that's the first misconception that Jesus blows out of the water. Because if you read the story of the first rich man, the disciples are astonished. They say, well, what can we do? What, can you, what have you got to do to be saved? Yeah, they're astonished by what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is clearly breaking the link between what they thought in terms of God's blessing was a result of a righteous, you know, well-lived life and reality. Yeah? The second, the middle story then is about this chap, this blind man. Um, and again, the Jews thought that if you were spiritually blind, the chances were you would be physically blind as well. Yeah? So they've got this idea in their heads that God blesses good people and curses bad people. And again, Jesus blows that one out of the water. Why? Because the blind man, the one who couldn't see with his eyes, correctly discerns who this man is. He says, Jesus, son of David. That was a messianic title. Son of David, it was the person that they'd all been waiting for, the Messiah. So the blind man correctly discerns who's walking along the road. So quite often in the Gospels, you see these stories, like if you like, as bookends. Yeah? It happens all the time, lots and lots of times, in, especially in Mark's Gospel, but in all of the Gospels, they will put in stories that are along the same theme. And the central idea is, do you know who you're meeting? Who's Jesus? What's the identity of Jesus? Yeah? The first rich man doesn't get it. Second rich man, though, that's radically different. Zacchaeus gets it. How do we know? He says, Lord. He uses the, the title that would have been reserved for God, Kyrios in the Greek, Lord. He sees there's something different about this man. Because, first of all, this man wants to associate with him. He says, come on, Zacchaeus, I'm coming around to your house. He probably had cobwebs in his guest bedroom because no one ever wanted to stay with him. Not many, not, nobody wanted to come and have tea with him. Can you see now how, this, how the three stories start to interweave into each other? That here was someone who correctly discerned who Jesus was, another rich man. Jesus says something quite amazing to this guy, doesn't he? He says, salvation has come to this household. What's salvation? What do I like to do? Because I know when it gets hot, people start to sort of nod off. Have a word with your next door neighbor. What's salvation? 
What do we mean by this word? We use it a lot in, in church. What does it mean? So just spend the next couple of minutes with your next door neighbor, the person you came with, and just see if you can work out what we mean by the word salvation. Okay, so I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Have a chat. Michael, do you want to put some music on while we're doing that? So if you're still talking about salvation, excellent. If you're talking about what we're having for your lunch today, then that's not quite so good. Um, I would hope that you're still busily talking about salvation because it is an extremely big subject. So I must have studied what we mean by salvation for you know, a couple of years and still didn't get to the bottom of it. So let's have some ideas. What do we reckon salvation is then? Just be big and brave and just shout out what you reckon is salvation. You're saved, okay. Saved implies you were saved from something or to something. What's, what's all that about? A new start, yeah. Saved from sin, yeah. What else? Changed, yeah. Very good. So you're familiar, I hope, with a, a scripture that says that we are now new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. 
Very good, right? Excellent. Any more? Redemption. Okay, that's a very good word to use. Now, what does that that word actually imply? Yeah, could be. Right, thank you. Forgiveness is a big one. Yeah, forgiveness is a big one. But what do we mean by redemption? Another word we use in church a lot. No point using these words. We don't know what they mean. Recommission, that's quite a good, that's quite a good analogy. Well, re- ah, Simon knows what redemption is, because it's a legal term, isn't it, Simon? It brought back, right. So the, the, the idea when the word redemption is used in the, in the New Testament is that something is like, it's not exactly pawned, but it's, it's like you are, um, you're, you know, there was a lot of slavery, obviously, in the ancient world. And you, a slave could be a redeemed, that is, bought back. So it implies this idea of now you're free because you've been redeemed. A price has been paid for you and you are now free. Okay, so that's what redemption means. Come on, there should be more about salvation. It's so good you want to tell other people about it. Uh, it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Rehabilitation. That's a good one. I hadn't thought of that one. Oh, very good. Very good. Yes, is it Peter? Yeah. Hope is a very, very good one. Yeah, hope is a good one. What else? New starts, yeah. Very true. Re welcome. Yeah, it's certainly welcomed. We're welcomed into God's family. Yeah, very true. Yes, there is certainly that. That's normally the when the Bible translates. Um, you know, uh, for in a pagan context, it's usually savior for, saving from enemies or from natural disasters. Whereas the particular sort of biblical meaning in terms of you know uh, meeting Jesus is a little bit different. But that's that's very true. Alleviate. Someone say assurance. Alleviate. Okay. Have to explain to me how that one might work. Takes the weight off, you mean? Yeah? Yeah, takes his... Yeah? So Jesus says, isn't it, those who are tired of carrying heavy loads come to me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah? Well, Christ is the only way, but there are lots of ways, I think, to salvation. Yeah, lots of ways to Jesus. Any more? Well, I'll put you out of your misery because, um, in fact, uh, people spend their lives thinking about what does salvation mean? How does it work? How does it, how does it happen in the first place? Um, it's a massive, um, you know, f- massive study in itself. 
It's got a very big name called Soteriology. But you'll forget that by tomorrow. Um, but being saved, hopefully you will never forget. You'll experience it for yourselves. If you haven't already experienced salvation, then you will experience yourself. And how do we know that salvation, how did Jesus know that salvation had come to this household? Come on, real question and answer time. Who's been paying attention? Who's, who's still awake? How do we know? Change of, change of heart, yes. Not only a change of heart, but that was manifest by what? Faith. Yeah, he, says, he certainly says, um, Lord, to, to, so he says, look, Lord. So he identifies who Jesus is. He knows that there's something special about Jesus. And he has a change of heart. And that is manifest by doing what? Change of behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. A change of behavior. Something that he couldn't do before, he now can do. Yeah? So I remember not so long ago actually speaking to someone who, who said, you know, I've become a Christian. But when they started talking to me, there was effing and blinding and blasphemy. And I'm thinking, really? Perhaps you were doing this even more before. And this is actually an improvement. But what I want to see, what I want to see in my life, and what I hope to see in the lives of others who say they've met Jesus, is a change. Yeah? Because aren't we all really sick and tired of being sick and tired? Aren't we really too, only too aware of our own faults and failings? Okay, we have to accept the fact that we are flawed people. We're not going to be perfect, certainly not this side of, he- of heaven. But don't you want that sense of being washed clean? Of being able to be useful to God? Yeah? Isn't that what the deepest need of humanity is, to know that forgiveness, that restoration? So one of the questions, big questions in soteriology, is what are we saved from? Yeah, sometimes we are actually saved from ourselves. Yeah, our own destructive, you know, um, habits and thoughts about ourselves, about others. Absolutely we are. Absolutely we are. And that's actually, that's that's tremendous actually, that God saves us from ourselves, our own destructive behaviors. It's wonderful. But sometimes we actually have to go back to the beginning, if you like, of where sin first came in. Because then that might give us an idea of what, not only what we've been saved from, but what we are saved to. Yeah? So we all know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and the serpent coming along and saying, has God said, really said that you shouldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Looks nice. Have a bite. And it says the woman looked 
and saw the fruit was good for eating, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband. Okay. If you remember the story, what happens next? What do they suddenly realize? They were sparkers. <laughs> and their clothes on. And they felt shame. Shame. So one of the things that salvation does is it delivers us from shame. Yeah? And what happens next? What does Adam do? He blames Eve. This woman that you gave me, gave me this apple. Well, that wasn't apple, it's the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, let's get that right. There's nothing wrong with eating apples. Okay, apples are good. It's the, it's the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. But hang on a minute. Didn't they already have the good? Didn't they? Weren't they didn't they have, didn't it, doesn't it say that they walked in the cool of the evening with God and had you know, intimate fellowship with him? They were able to chat to him. So what was the fruit If the fruit is from the knowledge of good and evil, and they already had the good, the fruit is the fruit of evil. They already had the good. And Adam starts blaming his wife. Yeah? His thinking goes all wrong. A few, few chapters later, you've got you know, Cain murdering his brother Abel. It all spirals down very, very quickly. So there are, our thinking goes wonky. We don't think right. We have bad thoughts about ourselves and about other people. Isn't that true? And that's why the Bible says in Romans that we've got to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Yeah? And what's the third thing that happens after this fall? It's called the fall. What does God do to them? Right, he banishes them from their, their place. Yeah, from, the, from the, the Garden of Eden, which mean, Eden means bounty. So it's a Garden of Bounty. And, it, and they enjoy intimate relationship with their Creator, and that now is now at a distance. Okay? So according to Genesis, there are three big things that we lose. We lose our thinking, and that is important. We lose that, um, uh, the, the, the fact that we're not, no longer in God's presence. But the, the biggest one of the lot is the, what the devil says. The devil says, if you eat this fruit, you will become like God. What's the lie there? They already are. So they lose their identity, their God-given identity. So they don't know who they are now. 
So salvation is about regaining our original identity, an identity of a child of the living God. Am I beginning to open your minds and start to blow them? Are you feeling a little bit, wow, that's a, I never heard the gospel explained like this before. Yeah? We get our identity, what we call in theology, ontology, the study of being. We get it back. And that's just on the first chapter of Genesis. You can read through the rest of the Bible. You can see other things that people you know, start to do wrong, all sorts of things. And we get redeemed and forgiven from those as well. Now, that's got to be good news, hasn't it? That's got to be, as Lucy was saying, something to get excited about, something to want to tell other people about, that salvation comes to this guy, Zacchaeus. The fact that he was a collaborator and all the rest of it doesn't mean anything to Jesus. Yeah? Because he says that this man is also a son of Abraham. So what does that mean? Because we've now got a question that Jesus is asking about who's in the kingdom and who's not. Who's in and who's out? So what do we think about that? Son of Abraham, what does that mean? God, they're testing your Bible knowledge this morning. What was Abraham uh, promised? They've had descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Yeah? That's what he was promised. And the New Testament tells us that anyone who has faith in Jesus is a son of Abraham or son and or daughter of Abraham. We get to join God's family. And this guy who is excluded by everyone else is included by Jesus. So if you're sitting here this morning thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not good enough to be one in, in a Christian. I haven't got my life together. Not like these other good people sitting around here. I, there's no way I could be a Christian. I'm, not, I'm nowhere near good enough. Can I tell you that all these good people you see sitting around here to your left and your right have not got it all together? And if Jesus says, why do you call me good teacher? Because there's only one good, that's God. Then what does that say about us? In fact, if you're thinking like that, that actually qualifies you. If you're thinking you're not worthy, worthy enough for, for Jesus, that actually qualifies you. Because Jesus says he's come to seek and to save the lost. Isn't that wonderful? If you are in that position this morning where you're thinking, oh, I'm not good enough, join the club. Because that actually qualifies you. That you're good enough for Jesus. Jesus takes us as we are. Not like, he doesn't leave us that way. He loves us so much, he's not going to leave us like that. In fact, there's a wonderful promise in the, in the book of Jeremiah about how God will write his laws on our hearts. That was a promise made thousands of years ago. That one day, God would write his law on our hearts. That no longer will a man teach his brother, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. 
And that's what happens when we get salvation as well. Somehow or other, we start to become more aware of our own failings and the need for forgiveness, the need for salvation. See, the wonderful news is that if you're going to meet Jesus today, you can't remain the same. If you're serious about meeting Jesus, he will change you. So we do become like new creations. Now that's something to look forward to, isn't it? Can can you see that the gospel that we are trying to preach in this place is so much bigger and better and more wonderful than we could even imagine? It's only when we understand the depths to which we've sunk can we see the glories that we have when we come to know Jesus. And do you know what? Jesus is making that same plea again this morning. You've perhaps heard about him. And he says, what are you going to do with that information? Now you know about me. What are you going to do? Well, that's a question that you and I will have to think about that individually. But for Zacchaeus, it was the start of a whole new life. I don't know what he did after that. We're not told. Maybe he decided he wasn't going to become a tax collector anymore. We don't know what happened. Maybe he did become, stay a tax collector, but only took the barest minimum that he needed to pay off the Romans. We don't know. But we do know that his salvation, his meeting with Jesus, had far-reaching consequences for him and his family. Salvation. Never underestimate what it costs for us to have it, the glories of it, and what God wants us to do with it. Because this salvation that he's given us is not just for now, or rather not just for when we get to heaven, but for now. It's not for our ticket, you know, our, our ticket for a nice, easy life. Far from it. You might, in fact, you might fend, end up having a more difficult life once you've met Jesus. But the thing is that after that moment, you will have him. Remember we were singing earlier, we're not alone. There's another one in the fire. There's another one holding back the water. We will know him. We will experience him in ways we can not possibly imagine once we've said yes to him. Yes, Lord, I understand who you are. Salvation has come to this household. 